Hey, we want to thank Jordan for being here today, all right? Let me tell you about Jordan a little bit. Jordan came down, he helped us put all this sound equipment, and he came in and he brought himself down here from Chattanooga a few months ago, if you guys remember, and he was supposed to be here, and Chris was going to be here, and then all of a sudden something got messed up. I think Chris was not well, or he got called into work or something like that, and we had gone through and they put everything together for our sound system, everything was working fine. Jordan showed up and nothing worked, right? And when Jordan walked in, um, we couldn't get stuff. We spent, what, 45 minutes trying to find out a cord or something that wasn't plugged in right? Do y'all remember that Sunday? Well, Jordan showed up again this morning, and there's no electricity, all right? So Jordan has been down from Chattanooga twice, and he's probably going, this church has got, what is going on with these people, all right? But Gordon, we are really glad that you're here today, and thanks for being here and coming all the way down in Chattanooga. If you have your Bibles, tell me we're going to be in John chapter 18 and chapter 19. We're looking at the crucifixion, all right? We're looking at the last 24 hours of Christ's life as we head towards Easter, as we head towards the cross, as we head towards our remembrance of, of what Christ has actually done for us. Now, as we get to this portion right here of the time period, we're going to be looking at, at 3 a.m. in the morning till 9 a.m. in the morning. Last week, we looked at from... Um, dusk when the sun went down from six till three and six in the evening till 3 a.m. All right. So we covered that, and then we covered the, the, what would, the Last Supper, and we also covered the time when they were at the garden, all right? So we looked at that last week. If you didn't, if you weren't able to be here for that, go back and listen online and, and stuff like that, and so you can catch yourself up, because I think it was a lot of good material and everything that was in there. So now we're looking at 3 a.m. to 9 a.m. How many of you have ever had a bad day? You ever had a bad day? All right. Have you ever woken up on the wrong side of the bed? You know, you just before your feet even hit the floor, you were just mad and you were like, this is going to be a horrible day. Just bad stuff going on. Well, I'm going to tell you something right now. <laughs> that is nothing in comparison to what's about to take place in the six hours of Christ Jesus life. All right. As we sit here and we read this this morning, you're going to read things and it, it hopefully it makes your stomach churn about how he was treated. Uh, in this six-hour period of time right here, Jesus is going to stand trial before six different groups of people. Six different groups of people in six hours. And so as we look at this from 3 a.m. to 9 a.m., this is a time of confrontation, a time of confrontation. So Last week, as we looked and we talked about that, that was a time of confession. So this, this time period is a time of confrontation. The first thing I want us to see is the rebel's trap. So we're going to pick it up kind of where we dropped off last week. In John chapter 18, verse 12. So the Roman cohort and the commander of the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. So let me just stop right there for a second. Have you ever looked up what a Roman cohort is? Roman cohort is somewhere between, depending on how it, how it went, you, you can look. Most of the time it was around three, at least 380 soldiers without the officers. So at least 380 soldiers, and it can be upwards of close to 800 soldiers. So Jesus is in this garden, and he's praying with his disciples, all right? And then not only does a Roman cohort show up to take him, but you have all the religious leaders that are there as well. There's about five to 700 people that show up in this garden to take Jesus. This isn't just like five or six people showing up with guns. This is a Roman cohort. 
that comes to take him. There are hundreds and hundreds of people that inundate this garden to take Jesus. Why, now, why in the world would they think that they would need to send this much, this many people? Because he's powerful. And he had slipped out of their existence and out from before them many times before, right? Remember, there was one time where he just kind of like walked right through them. They were wanting to take him and seize him at that time. And it says in Scripture that he just kind of like walked right through them. Like he was there and then he was gone. So this time they showed up and they brought the house. They brought all the Roman government with them. They brought all the religious leaders. And so they, they go in, they got Judas in tow with them. And they go up and they, and they show up to take Jesus Christ, all right? So look, you can also read this in Mark. I'm going to give you from all the other gospels as well this morning so you can put together the whole picture of what's taking place. They laid hands on him and seized him. But one who stood by him drew his sword and struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, Have you come out with swords and clubs to arrest me as you would against a robber? Every day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But this has taken place to fulfill the scriptures and they all left him and fled. So let me give, let's get the picture here for a second. <laughs> Peter. This is Peter. So 600 people, five to 700, let's just use a, the middle number. Like 600 people show up. And what does Peter do? Peter pulls out his sword. And he's going to take care of every single one of them. So he walks up to the assistant to the high priest and what? We can read from the other passages and stuff. He cuts off his what? He cuts off his ear. What does Jesus do while he's speaking? If you go and read this in the other synoptics, he picks the ear back up and what? Puts it back on the guy and heals him instantly. All right? He's not going to let this go down this week, this way. But Peter, man, he was jacked up and he was ready to go. He was going to fight all of them. Now, this is amazing because within this same six-hour period, he's going to do what? Deny him three times. So he picks up the knife and cuts off the ear, and then later on, he's going to claim, hey, man, I wasn't even there. I had no idea what you're talking about. Would that not be us? Because right now, he's feeling emboldened. It's in the dark, and nobody knows, and nobody can see what's going on. But later on, he's going to be sitting out in the light, right, where everybody's going to start picking on him. This is us. We stand here and we go, I'm for Jesus. I'll do whatever he says. I'll go wherever he calls me to go. I'll do whatever he tells me to do. And then he gives you some instructions and you go, wait a minute. So we can relate here to what's going on. So these guys come and they pick up Jesus and they have, they've taken him off. They've carried him off. But this is different from all the other times. Why is this different from the other times? Because Jesus goes right along with it, right? He realizes that his time has come. He's already had the Last Supper with his disciples. And now he's ready to head to the cross. So the first thing that happens here is the religious trials. So if you pick it up in verse 13 and 14 back in John, it says this. And he led him to Annas first. For he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. Now, Caiaphas was the one who advised the Jews that it was expedient for one man to die on behalf of the people. Now, look, this is important, too, as you put all this stuff together. Now, 
Where did the disciples go? We just read up there in that passage from Mark. The disciples at the end of this, they what? They were gone. So they're out. Nobody's, there's two that are going to be kind of following around in the shadows. We'll pick that up in just a moment. But now they've led him to Annas. Now, this is important. I'm going to put this together. I need you to understand this because when we read this and we read this in the book of John, it sounds like it's going to contradict what has just taken place. And it's also what's told us in the synoptics. Mark tells us that the disciples and Jesus had the set, what's called the setter or the Passover meal together, right? The Last Supper was the Passover meal. We're going to read in this section right here that there's a group that says that they can't go do something because they'll be defiled because they're getting ready to go for the Passover meal. And so I want to set the screen and set the stage so that you guys understand every single bit of this. You may know this already, but there's two main factions that make up about what to take place here in, in the religious uh, trials and stuff. There, there's a group of 70 called the Sanhedrin, and there's two main political parties, but they're not political parties. They're religious parties. One is the Pharisees, and one is the Sadducees. Now, the Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection. The Pharisees do. Pharisees were more the teachers. The Sadducees were more the high priests. They came from the Levitical tribes, so they ended up normally being the high priests, and it was just kind of passed around. As you see right here in this passage, they took him first to Annas. He wasn't even the high priest, Scripture doesn't even say that he's on the Sanhedrin. It just says that he is the father-in-law of Caiaphas, but he had served as the high priest, what, before, the year before. So the Sanhedrin got together, and they would have a leader each and every year. But that leader was just kind of passed around. It was handpicked by one of the other people. It was always pretty much a, a Sadducee, all right? So because they were of the Levitical tribe descendant-wise, they still had some political clout. But the larger portion of the Sanhedrin would have been Pharisees. They were teachers of the law. There were other groups as well. There were the Essenes. There were the Zealots. There were other religious sects of the Jewish faith that had representation on this. It's important for us to see and know this because they're all going to stand trial over Jesus. So no one can sit here and say they didn't have any part of this. Do you get it? But by the same token, there's certain other players that have more political prominence. So they went to Annas first. Why? Because Annas was probably the older of all of the high priests. So he would have been sort of like the leader of the high priests that got passed around every year. So he's just kind of can't serve two years in a row. So he kind of gave it to his son-in-law kind of thing. Are you following me here? So the people knew that. And so they took him first to Annas. And they had him there. So the first religious trial that he has is actually before Annas. So Annas begins to grill him. We won't go into too much of that, but then later on, he's going to take him, he's going to send him on, and that's where we'll pick up in the next passage, 19 through 24. The high priest then questioned uh, Jesus about his disciples. This would be Caiaphas and about his teaching. And Jesus answered him and said, I have spoken openly to the world. I've always taught in the synagogue and in the temple where all the Jews come together. I spoke nothing in secret. Why do you question me? Question those who have heard what I spoke to them. They know what I said. And he said this. One of the officers standing by near Jesus 
saying, is this the way that you answer the high priest? And Jesus answered him, if, you'd spo- if I have spoken wrongly, testify of the wrong. But, I, but rightly, why do you strike me? So Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. All right? So you've got Annas here, and now Annas, Annas questions him, sends him to Caiaphas. And it goes on down, and it says this in Mark 14, 53, and then 55, 56, and then 61 through 65. And they led Jesus away to the high priest, and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes gathered together. So now the settings change. It goes from Annas and it goes to Caiaphas, and now everybody's kind of involved. Not only do you have the Sanhedrin, but they've kind of called out everybody, right? They've called out all the scribes. They've called out all the elders. So everybody is at Caiaphas's place, and now they're going to put it to, to him again. And now the chief priests and the whole council kept trying to obtain testimony against Jesus to put him to death, and they were not finding any. For many were giving false testimony against him, but their testimony was not consistent. But he kept silent and did not answer. And again, the high priest was questioning him and saying to him, You are Christ, the Son of the Blessed One. And Jesus said, I am. And you shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. And tearing his clothes, the high priest said, What further do we need to have any of witnesses? And you have heard blasphemy. How does it seem to you? And they all condemned him, being deserving of death. And some spit at him, and to blindfold him and beat him with their fists. And to say to him, prophesy. And the officers received him with slaps in the face. So, let's catch this now. So he leaves Annas, he goes to Caiaphas' house. So Caiaphas is where they really get down to it. So at that point, they start trying to find any way, shape, form, or fashion that they can do to condemn him, but they really can't come up with two witnesses that will give false testimony that is consistent, right? They do finally end up with two who give testimony against him. But the biggest thing is, is they ask him the question, do you believe that you're the son of God? And he answers what? I am. So they call that blasphemy. So what Jesus is condemned of religiously is blasphemy. Now think about this. There's probably not a person in this room right here that in some way, shape, form, or fashion has not committed blasphemy. All of us in all of our lives weren't a part of the body of Christ. And before we knew him, we probably in some way, shape, form, or fashion, whether we said words or through our actions, committed blasphemous things. But there's no way, shape, form, or fashion that Jesus Christ ever did any of that. All he did was say, I am who you say I am. And for that, they condemned him. Now, what did they do after that? They beat him. But I want you to see something else, too. So not only was there one that hit him, but then they what? They put something over his head, and they began to beat him, and they called for him to say, prophesy. What do you think they're meaning right there? In other words, who is hitting you? If you are a prophet, you ought to be able to see who's hitting you. Is this not some of the same things that, not to any of the same degree, I'm not trying to do that, but the people of the world today do the same things to us, right? 
If you're a follower of Christ, you ought to be able to do this. You ought to be able to do that. You ought to know this. You ought to know that. We don't know all of these things. Jesus did. But what did he do in the midst of all of that? Did he fight back at all? He didn't. He just sat there and he took it. And he took it. And he took it. But did they stop? They did not. They continued to beat him. So this is the religious part of it. Now look, all this you need to understand, which I think is pretty apropos, is that this is done in the dark. So you're basically going to have the religious trials that we've got right here taking place from 3 a.m. to before 6 a.m. or before sunrise. All right? So the next portion of this that we're going to pick up and see are the Roman trials. And I've got it out in parentheses because I need you to follow this with me. So the first thing that we're going to see is that Jesus goes to Pilate. And then Pilate is not going to want to deal with him. So he's going to send him to Herod. Herod is going to just try to make fun of him. But he doesn't want to deal with it either. And he sends him back to Pilate. Now, let me give you who these people are right quick so that we understand this. So there were territories... And then there were cities, right, within the Roman Empire. So Pilate was over the city of Jerusalem. His job was to keep order within the city of Jerusalem. Now, look, that's a tough task because it was filled with what? Filled with the Jews, right? And this is, not only was it filled with the Jews, but this is also the Passover week. So every Jew from all over is coming to Jerusalem. And they've gotten angry with him before because these people have gotten out of hand. He is not in good favor. So he's trying to earn back people's respect within the Roman government. Now, his boss was Herod. Herod was given the territory. So Herod not only had to deal with Jerusalem, but he had to deal with all the other cities and other places that were within the territory. So he, had, he was much more powerful. But he was in town for what? Yeah, for Passover. He was in town for not the Passover itself, but for the party that he wanted to create as a part of Passover. Okay, so there's a week long celebration and all kinds of stuff was going to be going on in Jerusalem. And he wanted to be there to be a part of that. So he's come into town from that. All right. So that kind of sets the stage. So when we read this and we see how they go back and forth and that kind of thing uh, so that you'll understand where they are in all of this. They led Jesus from Caiaphas to the Praetorium and it was early. And they themselves did not enter into the praetorium so that they would not be defiled but might eat the Passover. So here we go. (laughs) This is deep, and I'm not going to immerse myself in it, but I want to try to give you some example of it. These people fought over everything, the Jewish people. And when they divided up into the sects of the uh, Sadducees and Pharisees, they couldn't even agree when the day began. So for the Galileans, for the disciples and Jesus, the day began at sundown. And so on that day, they took part in the Passover meal. Well, there was a, because of they couldn't agree when the, uh, the day began because the Sadducees and the, and the Levitical tribes said that the day began at what? Daybreak. And when the lunar year and what day it was, they, 
they're not on the same day. Do you get it? They're not on the same day at all. So the Pharisees and these who are pe- people are the keepers of the law, they, they would be having Passover meal at one time, and now you're seeing right here the Sadducees, the leaders, the elders, they're going to be having the Passover meal at a different time. And so when it says right here that they're, they won't want to go into the house because they have cleansed themselves ready for the Passover meal, and they're going to have that later on, that's where all of this comes in. Okay, so John presents it that way. The synoptic gospels present it as what Jesus was doing. Do you get it? And so they're on two different clocks. They're on different days. And so they're not having this Passover meal at the same time. Some people have even theorized that there was so many people that they needed to spread it out. And so different groups were doing it at different times. None of that has ever been shown, but the way that they do the clock and the days and stuff like that, that has been. So that's why it says right here, because a lot of people read this and they say, Jesus said that the Last Supper was the Passover. That's what Mark says, right? So the Gospels are what? Contradicting themselves. They're not contradicting themselves. What they're doing is giving you the entirety of the picture. One of it's speaking from one view. Another one is speaking from another view. So I wanted to bring that to you so that you would understand it. So Caiaphas comes and brings him into the praetorium. He can't go in there. So they all leave Jesus. So at this point, Jesus has left all the religious leaders, and he's gone in. And so now he's going into before the Roman leaders. So this is why this, this section is the Roman trial. So let's pick it up in Luke chapter 23. You've got the verses all down there. I won't read them all. <clears throat> then the whole body of them got up and brought him before Pilate. So Pilate asked him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him and saying, it, as you, it is as you say. So this is the second time. He's told the religious leaders, I am who you say I am. And now he's telling Pilate, I am who you say that I am. Then Pilate said to him and the chief priests and the crowds, I find guilt in this man. When Pilate heard it, he asked whether the man was a Galilean. When he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, then he sent him to Herod, who himself was in Jerusalem at the time. Now Herod was very glad when he saw Jesus, for he had wanted him to see him for a long time, because he had been hearing about him and was hoping to see some signs performed by him. He was looking for a show. And then Herod with his soldiers, after treating him with contempt and mocking him, dressed him in a gorgeous robe and sent him back to Pilate. So now he's been beaten, and now he's being what? Mocked. So they sent him back with a robe. Now Herod and Pilate became friends with one another that very day, for before they had been enemies with each other. Pilate summoned the chief priests and the rulers of the people, and he said to them, You brought this man to me, as one who incites the people to rebellion. And behold, having examined him before you, I found no guilt in this man regarding the charges that you make against him. Nor, no, nor has Herod, for he sent him back to us. And behold, nothing deserving of death has been done by him. Therefore, I will punish him and release him. So this is where we're at right now, okay? So he's going to punish him 
He's going to release him. So what are some of the things that he does? We're going to read about this a little bit more too in just a second. But he scourges Jesus. This is where the crowns of thorns go on Jesus' head and, and, and all of this. So they, do you see how this is just adding one on top of the other? Every time he goes somewhere, somebody takes another step further. Do you get it? Somebody joins in on this and goes another step further. The only example that I can think of right now is what we're experiencing with a virus. Have you noticed how everybody is turning on everybody else? Are you reading about this kind of stuff? Someone coughs in public and everybody just goes crazy, right? Because they don't know what they've got. Or if it's someone from a certain part of the world that steps into an environment and you're like, I need a background check on you for where you've been in the last 14 days because you may have this virus and be carrying it around. We're bullying other people. We're not only bullying other people, but we're formulating all kinds of ideas about certain people from certain areas of the world. These people... We're all piling on. Now, I know that that's not a perfect example, but do you get it? This is what we're doing. It's mass hysteria that is being created. And every time Christ goes from one group to the next group, it's not like it's just going from one place to the next. All these people are following around, and they're all ganging up. First time he went, it was just the Sanhedrin. Next thing you know, He's before all of the Sanhedrin, and he's before the scribes, and he's before all of the other leaders. Then the next thing you know, they've all followed him, and he's gone to Pilate's house. Well, Pilate sends him over to Herod. Now there's groups from Herod's soldiers and people, and they're following. Everybody's wanting to be involved. and be. Nobody's stopping it. And so you've got this one guy. Now, look, I'm not taking his side at all, but you've got one guy here that's going, wait a second. Wait a second. I can't find anything wrong with this guy. I send him to Herod. He can't find anything wrong with this guy. You come back. He sends him back to me. I still can't find anything wrong with this guy. So you know what? I'm going to beat him. I'm going to punish him for making this accusation. And then I'm going to release him. But the mob has become what? Big. It's become one in voice against Jesus Christ. And so Pilate, we're going to see on this, is going to fold. But you need to understand something. He tried to put up a fight, did he not? He did. But the tides of all of this became so much against Christ. Well, you can say it's against Christ or you can say... It's to, to bring about fulfillment of what Christ needed to do. So the last trial, so he's gone before, let's just back up again, Annas, he's gone before Caiaphas, he's gone before Pilate, he's gone before Herod, and then he's gone back before Pilate again. Now look, you would have to go and read the Gospels to catch every single minutia and every part of this. Peter's come, Peter's denied him, Peter, Peter's left. There's no one left following him around now except John and the women. And the only reason that John was probably still following him around is because John is a teenager. 
So as a follower of Christ and as a teenager, they're not going to see him as a threat. So he's still around, and you see what's going on. Now, he was obliged to release to them at the feast one prisoner. Who are they going to pick over this? Does anybody remember the name of Barabbas, right? All right. So the rejection trial, this is the last time before Pilate, but it's really before the entirety of the mob, okay? So I pull this one out differently because Pilate's already tried him the second time and found nothing wrong with him, but yet still they kept clamoring for more. So now he's standing out in front of the praetorium, and there's this big, huge crowd that's gathered. So not only is it the religious leaders, but the sun's come up, and everybody's up and moving around. It's a huge feast, all this is going, they're beginning their day. Pilate's supposed to release someone. They're all coming down to see apart what's going on. Can you imagine how many people are actually there for this? So Pilate took Jesus and he scourged him. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and put a purple robe on him. And they began to come up to him and saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and to give him slaps in the face. Now it was the day of preparation for the Passover, and it was about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, Behold your king. And so they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate said, Shall I crucify your king? And the chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. Wow, we have no king but Caesar. So then they handed him over to be crucified. And they took Jesus, therefore, and went out and bearing his own cross to the place called the place of the skull, which is called in Hebrew, Golgotha. So, so it's about six o'clock in the morning here. And so they've finally gotten through all of this. So for this three-hour period, Jesus has appeared before six different groups of people. He's been beaten. He's been scourged. He's been mocked. He's been spat upon. And now what they're going to do is they're going to condemn him to be crucified on the cross. So they what? They strap this cross to him, and he has to go up the Via Della Rosa and head to the skull, Golgotha, to be hung on a cross. Now, from what he's been through, we already know that he's what? Beaten and battered. So he can't even carry the cross, right? So from 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. is this process so this little street, this little alleyway is going to be lined with all these people. And these people are going to be what? Just hurling abuses at him and doing some of the same things that's already taken place. And then we, then we have what? One person. And they mocked him and they took the purple robe off of him and they put his own garments on him. And they led him out to crucify him and they pressed him into, pressed into service a passerby coming from the country. Simon of Cyrene, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear his cross. And then they brought him to the place Golgotha, which is translated the place of the skull. So they put him on this journey. Did this guy even volunteer to be a part of this? He didn't, did he? They just kind of picked him out of the crowd. They picked him out of the crowd and they pressed him into service to carry his cross because Christ he couldn't even carry it himself. So that's a bad day, isn't it? That's a bad start to the day. You know, we think we carry a lot of burdens. We think that our life is unfair. 
We think that the things that we have to go through are too much for us. And then we get to a place like this and we read what took place in the life of Christ over just a little over a three-hour period, what he endured before he even gets to the cross. And how everybody, everybody turned on him. And even his own people, the disciples, his followers, they're all scattered. They've left him or denied him. And yet there alone, he still does that which he knows to be the right thing to do. This is our life. This is what God calls us to. It's no longer I that liveth, but Christ that liveth in me. So as everybody turns against you, even those who you've put your faith and trust in, even those who have told you, I've got your back, when they're not there, you can know, you can know that Christ has your back. And you can know that you have not given your life to the point of death. This is what it says in Hebrews. You have suffered, but you have not suffered to the point of death. You have not endured what he has endured. You have not overcome what he has overcome. So we need to get a reality check. And we need to understand and put some perspective on what we've gone through. Because some of you have endured some things for a long, long time. Whether it be a person or an illness or whatever that you've dealt with. And you may think, I cannot overcome this. And in your flesh, you cannot. And you may lose the battle to the whatever it is eventually. But you need to know that while you breathe, while you get up every morning, that God has got your back. And that he is intentional. And that there is purpose. And that there is meaning. And these things are the things that we have to hold on to. And we have to know in our heart of hearts. And when we think that we have reached the end, pull this out for me. Just go and keep this in your Bible. And when you're having a bad day, and when you're thinking everything's against you, don't pull it out because it was a great sermon by Tim Hunter. No, it wasn't. I'm just telling you what the scripture tells you and trying to put it all together in one place. And when you see all of that, and when you read all of that, you can get an understanding and it helps put everything back in the right place and order. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I just thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. Wow. I put you on the cross. My sin made you endure that. You went through every single bit of this 
for me. There's no words. There's no actions. There's no value that could ever be placed on what you did for each and every one of us here. So, Father, we live because you gave us life. We sing because you placed the song in our heart. We stand because you give us the ability to do so. And, Father, we speak because you have placed the words in our mouth. There's nothing that we do that's apart from you. There's nothing that we do that is worthy of the love that you've shown for us. Father, this morning we give you thanks. And we give you praise and honor. And may everything that we do glorify you. Help us to keep the bright perspective about life. Help us to see that what we go through is nothing in comparison to what you've gone through for us. See things we ask and pray now in Jesus' name. Amen.